Hi, this is Sonia Walger, and welcome to Bookish, a podcast where I talk to interesting people about the five books that have shaped them most. My guest this episode is actress Mireille Enos. Mireille and I recently worked together for two glorious seasons on the ABC show The Catch, but you may know her better for her award-winning role as Sarah Linden on the AMC show The Killing. She was also nominated for a Tony for her performance in the 2005 Broadway production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and appeared opposite Brad Pitt in World War Z, a role she is set to reprise in the sequel. She is a powerhouse of an actress, a devoted mother of two gorgeous kids, a lover of books, and a woman I am delighted to call my friend. We sat down in her bedroom to talk about books. So you were just saying, because I sent you the email asking you to, yep. to do this, and um, you know, one of the reasons that I'd really wanted to do this is that I think that, I think books... I, as an only child and mm. as someone who learned to read really, really young, mm. I know how formative books were yeah. for me. They were brothers and sisters. They were company. Yeah. They were a retreat. They were it's, so many things. Land, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so one of the things we were just talking about before we pressed record was mm. the difference between one's favorite books. And the books that have shaped you. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was saying that I had missed the detail about it being not your favorites necessarily. And so I was pulling favorite books and then reread your email, and it was super interesting to see that those books shifted when it was simply things that formed your point of view about the world. Right. What were you What were you leaning towards when it was your favorite books? Do you Do you know what you? Were? Yeah, there there was a book called The Foreign Student by this contemporary writer, woman writer named Susan Choi. It was okay. fantastic. Oh, I want to get that. Uh, fantastic. The Poisonwood Bible. Oh yeah. Um, and those went away. Because they they were things that I mean I'm sure they did affect my thinking at the time. Sure. There were things that I loved, but they they weren't necessarily formative because there were things that I read just in the flow of reading, mm-hmm. um, and that felt different yeah. somehow. Isn't it interesting? I agree. I think it's really, I think it's there's somehow too. I think there's a shift of responsibility when you're just when you're just having to when you just but when you're having to find the books that have shaped you like somehow. Yeah. Your favorite books, this is, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. To me, I feel the onus is to sort of pick the five best ones that, that best show ever my read. taste. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. have to sort of curate it more, more yeah. carefully. And somehow I feel let off the hook when I have to pick the ones that have shaped me more. That's so interesting because I, I in some ways, I felt the opposite. Did you? I felt more responsibility. Did you? To, yes, to choose well and to actually think about the effect that the words had on me. Right, right, right. You know, because it it's a powerful thing to think about the things that have actually brought you to where you are. Yeah. And there's a million different versions of that. You could talk sure. about the people, you could talk about the... But, but the literature that has helped guide you to where you are mm-hmm. is... Um, is a different thing, It's right? a different thing. Yeah. I never thought about it. Yeah, actually. no, I agree. Well, it's based on... The reason I came up with this is it's based on Desert Island Discs, which mm. is this amazing radio show in England that's been around forever and uh, you pick five pieces of music that have shaped mm-hmm. you and it's far you know they're far more equipped than I am and it's an in-depth researched show right. that's much more of a sort of curated interview show than, mm-hmm. than this is than this is it will ever be um, but I've always loved the idea and then one of my favorite plays is this Tom Stoppard play called The Real Thing I and love it, that play. isn't it's it one amazing of my most I know plays mine too, too. And it begins with the playwright sitting on the floor and he's been asked to go on Desert Island Discs and he's mm. having to pick his five, five records. Favorite, yeah. and, he's, and he's in this crisis of panic about how he's going <laughs> to look cool but not too contrived right, but yeah. somehow interested. And, you know, yeah, I've and there seems, feels like there's a, some responsibility also to answer honestly. Yes. You know, to not just, like, you could build a case for many things, but to actually, like... Be responsible to the question. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Well, I'm glad you took it seriously. Too. Which leads me, you one of your first books you gave me was a play that I did not know. Is that? Yeah, I, you know, I. Or is that one of the books you've swapped out? It, it's, I swapped it out, but Will I you can tell talk me about, about it anyway. It. Yeah, I I'll tell so you about intrigued. it anyway. It's a lovely, sweet, sweet play called The Diviners, which was really my first big role hmm. that I was given. I was a junior in high school. We had a new acting teacher who had come into the school, and the teacher before was wonderful, but but 
retired, had been teaching for a long time, and he was more musical theater focused. And my acting class, we were a, kind of a ragamuffin gang. Uh-huh. And this new acting teacher came in, and she scooped us up and just loved us and really opened up the world for me about what acting could be. And, um, and she picked this play for our class, although the whole theater department auditioned, but it was really, you could, we felt that it was for us. Right. And, and then I got this part of this girl, Jenny, and it takes place in the depression era. And she has a brother who, whose brain doesn't work right Mm -hmm. and she loves him and um and there's a there's heartbreak in it and there's all of these big emotions and raw you know raw it's the depression like pete there's no energy for artifice Mm -hmm. there's no money there's Mm -hmm. no food there's it's hot out Mm -hmm. and it was my first time kind of being given permission to dive into something where I could just strip it all away mm. and like fall in love with the words mm. and fall in love with these people and and it, it and it shifted it shifted something for mm. me in terms of my work mm. and it sounds um, raw it it's sounds very like, raw mm. it's very raw and you know I went to this wonderful performing arts school um, and we were doing text analysis and Shakespeare and all you know all these wonderful wonderful things. But at 16 years old, to be handed a script where people weren't educated, right. weren't, there was no, nothing extra. They were just, like, surviving their lives and right. trying to do it with as much grace as, as possible. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful experience for me to be handed that part and get to live inside of it and feel the heat of it and, mm-hmm. um, and, and the heartbreak of that that particular heartbreak of family when you love someone so deeply and they're not ultimately your responsibility. Mm. So trying to find the boundaries between total adoration and detachment Mm -hmm. to save your own life. Mm -hmm. And um, there's really powerful themes in there. Mm. Sounds beautiful. It's a beautiful play. And it's really appropriate for a bunch of teenagers too, even though it's about grown-up people. Um, Were you playing your own age in it? I was playing my own age. I was one of the only characters playing my own age. Everyone else was playing, you know, slightly older. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a lot of African-American kids in my class, and there are a lot of characters who are African-American, so they suddenly had a voice, Mm -hmm. which was powerful for them. I'm sure. Um, How was your... Did your family come see it? Yeah, of course. And did they love? What what was their response to it? Yeah, they loved it. They were always so supportive Mm -hmm. of everything I did. But they really... um, They really loved it. And mostly, you know, I had done... Everyone got to perform every year. So I had done one the one acts for the first two years. But it was my first... Big role. Big role. Yeah. And to see me kind of expand into that yeah. it's really exciting it's interesting isn't it it's it's hard to sometimes I, that's why I asked about family because mm. sometimes when you unleash mm. that mm. particularly if it's something that has been previously hidden yeah. it can be a lot for I think family to stand and yeah. tolerate or absorb or recognize well it's interesting because my family it was interesting as I picked all these books that that Ties to family kept coming uh-huh. back up in ways that I don't necessarily think about on a day-to-day sure. basis. Um, my family, my wacky, wonderful family, is a bunch of bunch of artists and intellectuals. My mother's both my parents are incredibly well-read. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, in particular, is she's a literary scholar. Wow. You know? She like. She reads voraciously. Wow. Um, so we had that example always. And and she knows every film, every director, every cinematographer, every, you know. When she came to the set of World War Z, she was most excited to meet um, Bob Richardson, who was the DP. That's incredible. Yeah, she's a fantastic person. And all of us, I'm, I'm the fourth of five, we're all artists actors, musicians, my little sister is a modern dancer. Um, so there was always 
conversation and art and creativity bubbling around. Mm. And I was actually quite shy growing up. And there were so many voices in the house, interesting voices, but in many ways I felt like that there wasn't room for another voice. Right. So I was quiet for a long, 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 long time. Really? Long time, very quiet in the house. And so right around the time of this play, I mean, my older brothers and sisters had gone on to college, and so suddenly there was more room for, for my voice. Right. And my mother was incredibly encouraging and worked on my audition pieces with me. And um, Did she act? Was that ever her thing as well? No, she had wanted desperately to be a ballerina oh, really? and wasn't given the opportunity to dance. And so she swore that whatever it was that her children wanted to do, she would facilitate that and did, drove us. I mean, this school was an hour's drive each direction from our house. All My oldest brother hadn't found the school yet, but um, the other four of us went there for high school. She drove us to and from oh, wow. rehearsals. She stayed up all night working on pieces with, I mean, she just was tireless. Um, so it was exciting with this play to get to, for there to be evidence mm. that it was the right path yeah. and that the sacrifice was worthy. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can totally see that. Your mum, I think, like my mum, was a nursery school teacher too, no? She was, right. and then and then a high school teacher as right. well. When I was little, she started a nursery school in our home like for us. extra income. So yeah, funny. Isn't that yeah, interesting? Yeah, it's a funny little detail to share with you. I know. <laughs> yeah. So that was for several years while we were little, and then once my little sister and I were fully in school, then um, she went back and got her master's degree and then taught high school French. Wow. Yeah. So she's presumably who taught you to read. She is who taught me to read. And uh, and your father as well? And my father it? as well. My father often had the job of reading to me after he got home from work um, at bedtime. And I would wait for him at the door with a stack of books, you know, <laughs> up, to my, up to my waist. And he would say, no, no. Just two. Yeah. And I would say five. And, you know, every night it was the negotiation. How many it. books to it's read? It's like Olivia. It's one of my favorite kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Olivia. That Olivia. moment. Two. I know. Five. Five, 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 five mama, no, three. Two, three. Yeah, that was so sweet. I know. That was me always. Were they, um, were they good readers? Were they good at reading aloud? Did they do voices and things? Or was that something um, you did more to yourself? I don't remember. I particularly don't remember my mom ever doing voices. Mm -hmm. She just, she's French, you know, so she had this beautiful French voice just rolling and rolling and rolling out. Did she, she read in to French too, or just Sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes. Actually, one of the books that I sought for, but actually I'm so glad that we talked we about talk the about Diviners, yeah. is Le Petit Prince, and mm. she read that to me oh. in French. Oh, wow. And that... Oh, we should all be read Le Petit Prince by your in, mother in, in French. French. I know, great. and it's one of her favorite books. Yeah. And she read it to me, I think we probably started with it in English, but ultimately she did read it to me in French. And it was, I mean, I had been read so many books in my life, but there definitely was an awareness that, like, this was literature. Yeah. That this was some other mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. full of magic and that she was sharing something with me that she adored mm. that she adored for the writing of it and she adored for the emotion of it that mm -hmm. it affected her on mm -hmm. different levels mm -hmm. as a literature does yeah um and then I was somehow being let in behind the curtain yeah at a pretty young age I mean I don't know my daughter is six and a half and my mother recently came to visit and had brought a pop-up version of oh, Le Petit Prince yeah. for Vesper. So I don't know if I was quite that young, but I was somewhere around there, yeah. seven or eight, when it's she was reading this to me. It's a magical book, mm. isn't it? And it I think is. there's something so extraordinary about that moment, as you say, about being let in behind the curtain yeah. of, of adulthood and being yes. made to feel... Your, it, it's such an interesting distinction between just being read something and having an adult share something that is of value and precious yes. to them. I think you do yes. know that. As a I mean, kid. and I, I understood that my mother valued literature so highly mm -hmm. and thought that it, it definitely could 
changed her world and had the power to change people's points of view and and just crack things open. And so for her to to sit with me and now not just read a child's book, but to actually share with me something that was literature yeah. and that would be like a stepping stone to, to uh, many other things that I would read in my life. Yeah. And, you know, even at my wedding, she... I had a crazy idea to have a talent show at my wedding. <laughs> so good. Tell me more. Well, mother well, Alan and I drink, just as a side note. And so we decided to have a sober wedding. And then I was like, but is that going to suck? Like, are people going to be mad at us? Like, we need something to make it silly in the way that a glass of champagne does. Right, right. And so then I thought, let's have... A talent show. And I was really, really giddy about it until the night before the wedding. And I suddenly became terrified <laughs> that it was going to just be, like, it was going to be so awful. It was going to just fail and be horrible. <laughs> and then it wasn't. It was. It did exactly what it was supposed it's to do. So good. So um, how did it work? Did you give people a heads up? How I gave people a heads up. I sent mass to everyone who had been um, invited, mass emails saying, we're doing this crazy thing. Please feel free to let me know that you'd like to perform or don't, like, spontaneously show up. You don't even have to tell me what it's going to be, but just so I have a sense. And there were so many different things. A girl, like, taught herself the chords of a song that was important to her. She sang and played the guitar. There was um, a puppet show. There was... This amazing. It was amazing. A couple, this wonderful couple, played, like, a makeshift, like saw banjo and like banged on a trash can lid. Did you guys do anything? Did um, you uh, I created as kind of the final piece. My sister is a dancer. Yeah. And so she, I had her choreograph. We had our band was a klezmer bluegrass band. Wow. Live. So clarinets and banjos and like incredible sound. So we took one of their songs and Ginger, um, my sister, choreographed a kind of a dance of the seven veils for me and my bridesmaids. Uh, and we sat, Alan, and he didn't know, we sat him in a chair and the seven of us like danced with scarves. Oh, it was incredible. fantastic, silly, and this wonderful. This is a wedding video I really want to see. It was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing wedding. Yeah. Um, strange and funny and wonderful. And, um, but my mom read um, the passage from Le Petit Prince about the um, fox being tamed. Oh, do you know that do you have it? No, do you have it there? No, you? I no. don't. And this one is in French. But basically, there's a fox, and the the prince wants to um, be friends with him. And so the fox explains that he's a wild creature. Oh, yes. And in order for them to be friends, the prince must tame him, which mm. means... He must come at the same time every day, and he must sit very still. And day after day, the fox will approach slowly, slowly, trusting him more. And so he goes through this whole process, and and the fox is tamed, and they become friends. And then they're not going to see each other anymore, and um, the boy is sad, and the fox is sad. And he says, but it will be worth it, because whenever I look at the color of the wheat, I will think of your hair, mm. and I am richer for having been tamed by you. Mm. Mm. <laughs> absolutely lump in my throat. That's it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Mm. Um, and so my that at your wedding. Um, so my mother read that at my wedding. So I know, and this idea of allowing ourselves to be open and vulnerable to mm. to someone, yeah. and that in the course of a life, you know, the analogy that we must tame and retame one another right. over the course of a life and allow ourselves to be open to that experience, mm. knowing that that will also invite heartache, yeah. but that ultimately it's worth it. Yeah. And the idea of the loss, too, is mm-hmm. so heartbreaking that you don't... That, that losses are just embedded in love, you know, yeah. and that yeah. you... you you don't get to tame the fox and then keep the fox. And keep the fox. You but you to get to remember the colour of the weeds and, and the... Yeah. And the memory of it. It's beautiful, it Mireille. Beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful there. That gives me a lump in my throat to to hear it. And yeah. how beautiful to have your mum read that. Not just not just a friend or a best man no, or something. but, the, but my mum. Yeah, there's enormous recognition in yeah. that. And is it also because she's French and she's quite private mm-hmm. about the things that she feels. And, um, I mean, loved us desperately with her whole heart but said the words with complete devotion complete devotion but said the words 
I mean, I can count on my hands. You know, it's it's just culturally, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way that she expressed her love was in the showing up and showing up and showing up, but sure. also in the sharing of things like this. And so that was that moment was so revealing mm. of um, actually the depth of her emotion and how deeply she feels things right. and the clarity around that, right. that she, she didn't often share with like her own experiences right she used examples that she found in other places right isn't that interesting that's so moving actually and it so speaks to what I think books do is that they offer a mirror that's a safe place that's a sort of a way to have these huge feelings and experiences Mm. that's containable that's not the chaos of real life you know yeah and you know, I, one of, like, the themes I think is super interesting, one of the reasons I like being an actor, is that I believe that we all feel like we're aliens on this planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Even the, the people who walk around in the coolest of exteriors, mm. in our private moments, we feel alone and alien. Mm. And literature provides... A place of recognition. Yeah. You you can say, wait a minute, that is my experience. Yeah, I'm not alone. Too, I mm. am not alone. Mm. This person who wrote in the 16th century, or yeah. you know, in the 1970s, or whatever it is, shared an experience that that was mine. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting because when I saw you know one of the other books on your list is Franny and Zoe, mm-hmm. Zoe, and um. I was thinking about this because I'm a Salinger devotee, as mm-hmm. so many of us are, and and I was idly as I was driving here thinking, I wonder why Catcher in the Rye, mm. you know, the obvious one, right. is resonates to the degree that it does, and mm-hmm. I think it's because of what you're talking about. Not just is it the most beautifully crafted, sure. empathetic creation, yeah. but we read it. Most of us come mm. to that at a moment in our adolescence, mm-hmm. which is when we are at our most alienated, right. when we are most hungry to mm-hmm. feel seen and somehow convinced that our experience is utterly unique and yeah. nobody could possibly, possibly have gone through this yeah. heartache, abandonment or misunderstanding by one's parents, whatever it is. It just chimes at this mm-hmm. extraordinary moment. And I reread Catcher in the Right. I haven't read Franny and Zoe for mm-hmm. ages and it makes me want to go back to it when I saw it. And obviously I want to hear what you have to say about it. But I reread Catcher in the Rye about five years ago. Mm. And I remember being so struck mm. by by so much else, by right. who Holden Caulfield's parents were. That's <laughs> to, so interesting. To read it as a parent. Which I haven't so done. I haven't read different. it since I was an adolescent. Right. And it's, it's this, makes me want to go back it and read it does. again. It does. And I mean, I'm, I want, now I've got two children, I want to read it again. But mm. it's it's so and this is something you know I've talked about a little bit on this podcast rereading these books that yeah. want that have formed you and discovering discovering who you were when you read, read them, them and reminding being reminded of perhaps what mm-hmm. that isolation or rawness or whatever mm-hmm. it was and then the difference in where you are now yeah. when you come back to it like that to me is is really really striking because as you say we go to books to feel seen yeah. to to Absolutely. see and feel seen, seen in a way and also it's so easy to think my experience is completely my own, not connected to anyone else, and actually really mundane. And then you you see put into words, beautiful, eloquent words, mm. your experience, mm. but elevated. Yeah. So it lifts your own experience. Too. Yes, it does, right? right? It's true. Why was Franny and Zoe? What was Zoe? I keep. I always want to call it Zoe. Zoe. How did? When were you? When did you find it? I was in New York City. My big love affair with reading. I had read. I mean, there were always books around growing up, and I had read for school. I'd read for college, and then, of course, I moved to New York City. When you were how old? When I was twenty-one years Mm -hmm. old, and that started kind of my love affair with reading. Those 10 years in New York were my most voracious period mm-hmm. of reading. And, um, and you know, a few of my books come from that time. Um, and this was definitely one of them. And it was, it was suggested to me by one of my dear friends at the time, David Harbour, who mm. I'd done, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with right. and other things. And I didn't know this book. And um, I 
loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it so deeply. Again, because it, there was a quality to it that I recognized. This family was very different from my own family. Right. But, the, you know, art was a god in my family, and God was a god in my family. Right. Like, it was a religious house that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So there were these two um, kind of larger-than-life energies in our house and um, did they meet did they they did meet and they competed sometimes um but they definitely were these you know and both in religion there's there's a sense of of largeness and in art the same i think in many ways those two experiences are a reaching for something similar Mm -hmm. um and so and and you know, during this time of New York, I was exploring both of those themes in my life where faith fit and definitely where art fit. Mm-hmm. And this family, the Glass family, the Glass family from Franny and Zoe is similar in that they are the mother was an ex vaudevillian actress. Right. Um, the, the brother is a TV actor. Franny is in college. She's, you know, doing her theater training. Um, and she has um, an older brother who was fascinated by theology and kind of took it upon himself to be give her her, her religious education. And they're very intelligent. They're readers in this mm-hmm. family. And she is in crisis and goes home. One of their brothers has committed suicide uh, a few months before, and she goes home to talk with her brother, Zooey, and she is really kind of desperately sad, and um, and her brother sits with her for hours trying to pull her out, and then ultimately he can't do it, so he leaves and he calls the family house and he pretends to be another brother. <laughs> and he and that brother is able to guide her through. Uh-huh. And then ultimately she realizes which that it was Suey all the time. Yeah. Suey all the time. Yeah. Um, but I have brothers mm. and I have both of my brothers are older than me, nine and eleven years older than me. And um, my brother Raphael, who is nine years older than me, I'm very close to. And that relationship of someone who is removed from you in age, sure, and and so whose voice has weight, Mm -hmm. and also who who knows you um, since you were tiny and and uh, who has a willingness to sit by your bedside and talk to you for endless number of hours right was so moving to me because I know about my brothers that they would do that Mm. if I needed them to and um but it's not something that I ask of them so to have an example of that to to recognize that oh life gave me the gift of people that would do this for me mm. if I needed. Mm. Um, there's a movie. Yeah, there's an intimacy in family that I know I longed for mm-hmm. and is is was a through line in my books that shaped me mm-hmm. or the books that I loved growing up. Mm-hmm. I, I used to feel sort of pressed up against the window, mm-hmm. peering in, at that. and similarly, you know, the, mm-hmm. so the, so the Glass family, I, I felt similarly of like, less recognition and more hunger for mm. for that for brothers and sisters mm. that could step in or mm. um, mediate or mm. help lift you out of a situation right. or something I, I and I and I think in a funny way I used to I used to seek out boyfriends actually that, that had big families mm. uh, oh, that's interesting that, that had that yeah. had that coziness that I could go yeah. and, and curl up like a cat in front of their kitchen fire and you know bask in the light of it yeah. and I think I remember having that experience, uh, 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 you know, the other side of the mirror of of yours with this But you know what's interesting is that, like I was saying earlier, how there were, I was very quiet in my family, actually, because of all these voices. I think that actually I didn't often take the opportunity to ask of my family to listen to my Mm -hmm. heartaches. I'm quite private 
around those things. And maybe part of what was lovely about this was watching somebody who actually did, did it. Did do it, yeah. Stepped out and engaged, yeah. yeah. It's true. I mean, and no question, I would come in as I continue my cat analogy, and you know, mm -hmm. I would completely romanticize the hearth yeah. and the fire and, the, and yeah. the entire family dynamic. I don't yeah. doubt for a second that now that I've got two of my own, I yeah. see how intense it is and yeah. miraculous to have a sibling and also e extraordinary. I didn't yeah. know how, I did not in my innocence know how much birth order affects mm who you are. I mean, Jakey is my little two-year-old. Yeah. Jakey is, is who he is because he has grown up in the shadow of the oak tree that is Billy, Billy. his four-year-old sister. Yeah. And I'm sure you the see same. it with Vesper and Larky. Absolutely. Right? With Vesper and Larky, I, you know, Vesper's formative years, she was the only, only, only. The queen bee. The queen. Yeah. And we poured every bit of attention. Oh, yeah. Larkin has never known a moment without his sister. Yeah. She is one of the tent poles of his right. whole life. Yeah. I asked Vesper recently if she um, remembers life before him. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't. Yeah. And that's such it's an so interesting... Good. <laughs> I know, it's, it's so relief. good. It is, it's such a relief. <laughs> oh, we're there. It's so good. <laughs> Billy's the same. Billy, thank God, she was two when Jakey yeah. was born. And so she just hasn't got a clue, which I'm so glad about. But it definitely makes them different people, mm. having that time mm. when it was just them. But having been one of five, was it then important to you to have, did you know you wanted at least two? Did I you knew know I that? wanted at least two. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Who wants five? God bless your no, mama. I know. I know. It's some craziness. It's crazy. It really is. I mean, I think how I moan and groan about having two and Can how exhausting it is. No. No, I can't. I, I really I can't. But then did your older ones, did the older ones help raise the little ones? Were you raised by yeah. Raphael? Were you, yes. Were you, were you yes, I was. largely? Or were you just I mean, like, my big brothers, they were, you know, off to college and stuff when I was still very little. My big sister was six and a half years older than me, and she definitely helped raise me. Mm -hmm. um, did she read to you? I have no memory. I'm sure she did. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Do you share books now? Are you close enough? Would you recommend a or take yeah, a recommendation? We, yes, she's her? my best bestie. Yeah. Um, and we were roommates for six or seven years. Really? In New York? York? That's yeah. lovely. Yeah, it was so good. It How amazing, my God. Time. In a lonely city to have your sister yeah. as a roommate. That sounds great. I know. We've always said that together... We're invincible. We can yeah. walk into any room mm -hmm. and like nothing could take us. It's amazing. It was an incredible time mm. making Thanksgivings together and reading. Anyway, it, it was, was lovely. It was wonderful. Yeah, that's really great. Wonderful time. So, um, tell me your third book, which was the well, next one or fourth, wherever we're at. Wherever, well, the kind of I mentioned that that those ten years in New York was um, my kind of love affair with reading. That started with. Anna Karenina, which actually my brother Raphael recommended really? to me. Really? That is a well-thumbed edition. Yeah, I, I know that you see I in the love cover it, the is gone. It's missing the cover. <laughs> I have the same one. I have a penguin one as well. It's, it's, I had never on my own picked up, you know, a tome like this sure. and start to work my way through it. And, um, and he recommended it to me. He's a voracious reader as well. And from the first line, I knew that I was like, sunk um the first line is all happy families are alike but an unhappy family is unhappy after its own fashion mm, it's, so it's great, just like it? it's like the greatest you know you're after <laughs> truism you're of the universe it's true right yeah and then you know you you follow this heartbreaking tale um the the, the story of Anna and Vronsky obviously is incredible I love um the story of Lennon and Kitty yeah Love their yeah. story so much. Um, it's a quieter it's one. It's a isn't quieter it? one, and you know, Kitty is so heartbroken, broken, mm. and then she finds this man who um, ends up being the right person for her. It's a theme that I, I think, is very interesting in actual life. Mm. When I make a friend and then I meet their partner, mm -hmm. um, especially when it's the right mm. person. Mm -hmm. I'm almost always at in, at first surprised, mm. and then there's like a oh, of oh, course. I see. Yeah. It's I think the people who are our actual 
right partner. Um, it's mysterious. Yeah. Um, so that that relationship and the evolution of that relationship and how he opens to her and she grows into her adulthood mm. and uh, I think is very I love beautiful. that. I love that and I love singling out that relationship because I agree. I think it is the the Anna and Vronsky one is the one we all that's the there's the fireworks. It's yes. it's in a funny way, it's almost like um it's almost like the same relationship. It's the adolescent version and then there's the mature version mm -hmm. of what of, yeah. of where we are, you know, and, and the and if we're, you know, I would argue, unfortunate, we stay in that twenties, tempestuous, yes. passionate insanity, yes. and hopefully we mature into something more like Lennon yeah. and Kitty Kitty. and a more of a more of a recognition and the more of the, the self knowledge of who yeah. of who you are and therefore mm -hmm. what your needs are and, mm -hmm. and what therefore the the person who might meet those needs is not yeah. necessarily the person you would first have thought of. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I dated the loudest, <laughs> like, the center of attention, <laughs> you know, the, the life of the party, the emotional bit, and that was always the wrong person. <laughs> Every so time it was the wrong person. <laughs> the slightly out of reach, yeah, unattainable, yeah, yeah, yeah. make me feel small, always the wrong person. Every time. Is that a bummer? <laughs> yeah, I know. But then I met an adult. Yeah. And there was enough. this incredible, like, relief. Mm, absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. oh, walking next to you makes actual life possible. Yeah. Makes my goals attainable. Mm -hmm. The things that I will most benefit from are the things that you want to. Yeah. Isn't it interesting too? Because the it's it's just it just was I was flashing on you talking about your family and that you had to be you were quiet for so long mm -hmm. because there was so much noise in your family and mm -hmm. I think sometimes there's a comfort in those in recreating a dynamic mm -hmm. where we get to be the quiet one and let everyone yes. else make all the noise mm -hmm. and then there's this enormous maturity of stepping into actually I I might want to make a noise yeah and I, I have might some opinions. yeah and I might need a partner <laughs> who's willing to shut up and <laughs> to actually. Hear that? You know? yes, I think there's right. there's something um, in like I say it just I think it speaks to growing up mm -hmm. in a way that I hope I hope we all do right. just for the the peace of mind, mind. of it yeah know? and that, you know those tempestuous years are formative and important yeah we have to go we through have them to. I, know. I want to save Billy and Vespa from them I just I want know. to shortcut them straight oh, to a grown up no I you already bear? see it I mean yeah. Vesper is already you know really mama you know she's <laughs> seriously uh, and she's six so I can already like see where she's headed ah. I just had it with Billy she said to me the other day she was furious because I asked her to finish her supper which was just outrageous of me yeah so she pushed the chair away and walked up the stairs and without turning around just over her shoulder said I'm gonna slam my door <laughs> and she did <laughs> She just warned me that that was what was coming. coming. I was like, shit, you're I know, full. We're, we're, so I know. Much we're, yeah, yeah. we're in so much trouble, the two of us, um, strong women. Tell me, did you have you reread Anna Karenina? Since, I haven't. Since I haven't. Passages. Mm. I've reread passages. Um, this same brother, Raphael, was he decided to go on an adventure. He was going to China. Um, and he called Veronique and I up when we were roommates in New York. And he said, I need to get all my paperwork together. Can it was before the holidays. Can I fly to New York and live with you for a month? I'll file for all of my, everything that I mm. need. I'll spend the month of December, the holidays with you mm. in which time all my things will come and then I'll fly from New York. So great. It was so great. So he shacked up with us for a month and it was an incredible month. Um, and he would like, we would get home tired and say, will you make us noodles? And he would cook for us and we would sit up reading and we did have the holidays. And anyway, Christmas came around and we wanted to give him something and yet he was going to be traveling. So he, it couldn't be anything of size. Sure. So we created this folder for him, which we filled with tiny red 
envelopes and in each envelope was a something it was a passage from a novel it was an adventure for him to go oh, on because wow. he was going to be alone oh, so in wow. any moment what that he felt gift. isolated he could pull out an envelope and it would say find chicken soup or here's my favorite passage I from this or goosebumps. this is so <laughs> magical veronique and i did it together we sat up you know and he was in the house where we had to do it sneaky and just filling these little red envelopes with with um, love, companions with love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with love. And so, because I knew that he loved this book, I did reread passages. Yeah, and put them and, in there. and put them in there. Um, there's a passage at the end that Lenin, alone in the woods, has this like moment of clarity mm. um, where he suddenly he 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 sees the universe differently. He has this moment of great empathy for. The world mm. and the human experience. Mm, I remember this. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And then he comes out of the woods, and he's trying to hold on to that feeling. Mm. And then ultimately, he gets swept swept back up in the energy of life and the wagon wheel and the whatever it is. Mm. But he's had this like kind of opening. opening. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I put that passage in there. Beautiful. I tell you, it makes me want to go to China just to have you make me a full <laughs> That's it was sweetest story. It was it was great. Did he talk? I just have to know. Did he talk about being in China and opening them and on his journey? Well, so the end of that story is he got to the end of the month and he said to us, after spending the month with you two, I don't want to go to China. I don't want to go to China. I'm going to go to Chinatown in New York with my sisters. Yeah, he went. He went home actually. Did he? He went home, but he took. He, he took, took his folder, and he's used it in his life at different moments. That's he's pulled the out envelopes. Sweetest story. Yeah, it's I really, love it. Has he really never been good. to China? No, he never went. He didn't need to. He didn't need to go. He needed to spend a month with his sisters in yeah. New York. Yeah, that's glorious. That's yeah. such a sweet story. I love yeah. that. That's the ending to it. Yeah, it was um, good. Your next book is oh well, I have it down as Hundred Years of Solitude. Is it still? Yes, it's Hundred Years of Solitude, um, which is um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Marquez, and it was published in nineteen sixty-seven. It. I had not read most of my literature that I had read was English or American or Russian, mm-hmm. and then I picked up this. And my mother, the literary scholar hates magic realism. Oh, interesting, yeah. Really interesting. Mm. Hates it. I had never even really considered that I would have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that. I, mean, so I do well. have different opinions from her about other things, <laughs> yeah. but across that, it just never kind of crossed sure. my mind. Sure, And then I was like, well, I'm in this period of reading. This, you know, it's a book that everyone talks about. Right. One of the great, great, greats. I was so passionately in love with this book. Mm. Yeah. The rawness of it, mm. the um, the passion in the writing, the violence of it, the the magic of it. There's a character that is followed by yellow butterflies everywhere, yeah, everywhere he, goes. he goes, and there's no explanation. There's no. It's just what's true. Yeah, and that kind of magic. I actually it. It, it shifted the way that I think about the world, that I think about theater, that I think the plays that I'm most drawn to now have a quality of magic to them. Really? Because, yeah, because yeah. actually sitting in chairs, watching people up there play out scenes, there's nothing actually naturalistic about that. Sure. It, it, it's, it's outside of realism. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a play that actually points up the fact that mm-hmm. it's not real, mm-hmm. it's the, the themes come bursting off the stage, yeah. I think, in, in ways that, like, go in somewhere deeper somehow. Yeah. It's interesting. I think I when you say that, I, I think of um, Jerusalem. Did you see Jerusalem? Mm. So Jerusalem was an uh, extraordinary, extraordinary play that began in London at the Royal Court, and mm. then Mark Rylance did it there, and then they brought it to Broadway. And, and it does exactly that. It's, on the one hand, mm. a play about a raging lunatic living in his caravan called Rooster and he's mm-hmm. railing against the world because they're coming in and they want to bulldoze where his caravan is his mm-hmm. little trailer is sitting in the trailer park and it's the rise of industrialism and mm-hmm. and he's pr- protecting this little patch of ground mm-hmm. and it ends with him I mean I get goosebumps even mm-hmm. telling you it ends with him drumming because the bulldozers are coming to bulldoze his things and he's drumming summoning the giants of England oh 
to come and protect and he is and he drums with all his heart and the whole theater is filled with this drumming heartbeat mm -hmm. as rooster crows as the drums roll mm -hmm. and the lights go down and the lights come up and that entire audience is on its feet. I mean, yeah. deservedly because Mark Rylance is Genius. the most breathtaking actor working yeah. today. But there's something in the play, there's something, as you mm -hmm. say, about the summoning of mm -hmm. the magic and the real. The stakes are real, but yeah. if we're going to be artificial, then bring it on. Then That's bring us right. fairies, bring us yellow That's butterflies, nice. bring us, you know, all of that. Sorry to interrupt. I just no, was no, totally thinking of that as you said it. Absolutely. That's, that's right. We, you know, we see right now in films, there's lots of superheroes. There's lots of, I think... Which is may or may not be an effective way of sure. playing that out, but I think that there is a yearning mm. for the magic yeah. of the universe mm. and for us to feel powerful. Mm. And so those those themes, I think, just play into something that is so innately human. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and aside from their just being magic around, there's nothing particularly magical in these people's lives. Right. You know, it, it's it's kind of like the story of the whole world right. in a hundred years. Chronicling the Wendia family. Will yes. you read the first sentence of that? Because yes. I talking good first sentences, I think this is one of the greats. Yes, I will. It's how I choose my books, actually. I sometimes read the whole first paragraph, but... Um, <clears throat> many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel... Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. Isn't that one of the greatest first sentences ever written? I really believe that is. I just, that one, I just think that's, there you go. You didn't, even if you didn't write the rest of the novel, yeah, there right. you have. Yeah. <laughs> There's a crystal right there. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I was so glad to see it on your list. Have you been to South America? Have you traveled there at all? No, I've been. I've been to Mexico, but that's as far south as I've gone. It's a, it's a taste of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm half Argentine, and so mm. I've spent a lot of time there. And, and Peru. My dad was married to a Peruvian for a while, mm. so I used to go there. And um, uh, Garcia Marquez's daughter yeah. was someone that I used to play with and go swimming wow. with and stuff. And I remember it distinctly my father saying to me you this is a very very important writer's daughter this is someone who's wow. very very special and I just remember having this aura mm -hmm. but what's interesting is particularly in Peru less in Argentina which is mm -hmm. more European but when you're in South America you mm -hmm. feel like oh magic realism is just what we call it because we're Europeans in South America this is realism this right. is this is naturalism yeah, this is entirely this is a documentary <laughs> there is something magic yeah there yeah. just is there's a heightenedness and a, and a and a closeness to an old way of doing mm. things a, a sort of witch doctory mm -hmm. santeria mm -hmm. um uh, raw slightly darker way that mm -hmm. when then got catholicism sort of imprinted on right. top of it so there is this just murkier fusion of the pagan with the ritual with it's with gorgeous. myth and story and mm -hmm. and it's it's all it's all melded in in mm -hmm. a way that you know it'll be fun when you do go to south america mm -hmm. to reread that when you're there because mm -hmm. it, it, it's it it suddenly ceases to feel other and it right. and it feels like oh no this is like looking at a map of, an, of a country it's like it's oh there's the river there's the edges you know it's mm -hmm. it's really well, and you feel that in 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 the writing all the way through, even the parts that aren't the butterflies. You know, yeah. it's just there. There's a vividness to the language mm. and the description of the food and the description of the passion and mm. the. You know, it's just there's nothing on top of it. It just yeah. is what it is. Yeah. You can you can smell it. Mm. You can. Um, that's incredible. It makes obviously any book in its original language is better oh, but this it makes me desperate to believe, be able to read it i see i'm sitting in your bedroom which is very lovely of you to have me here but i see a speed series of spanish it's beside alan. the bed is that it's alan, alan. So, that's so great i was so impressed by that yeah how's his french by the way is his good does he it's, speak french it's it's good he has a great ear mm -hmm. and he's well traveled so he doesn't speak french but when we're the family is together. My mother is speaking French. He can follow. Right. And he did this incredible thing. We wanted to write our vows together. 
So we knew what those were, uh, what we were going to say to each other, but we also wanted there to be something that was a surprise. So he has two big kids that I was inheriting, and I have a giant family that he was mm-hmm. inheriting. So we decided that we would address one another's families, mm. and that we would keep a surprise. Right. He wrote this beautiful letter, and he had it translated into French, and he memorized it, and he Whoa. addressed my family Whoa. in my mother's language. Whoa. And basically the Way theme... Way to bring it <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Nailed it. And the last... <laughs> The last phrase was subjunctive, and my mother not only is a scholar, but she's also a French teacher, so right. she's the grammar, everything. God forbid. You know? And so she, like, tears running down her face, he finished, and what she said to him was, la subjunctive. <laughs> That's why she gave it up. That's what brought Brilliant. Such a great story. Babe, do you have one more book? You do? Or not? It's just, it's a journal. Yes. When I had my babies, suddenly they were, you know, Vesper originally was saying all of these incredible things. And so I started jotting down things in a journal and then that became, that's become a thing. And I now, I have three volumes. Of, this is the third volume of Vespers and now I've started Larkin's journal. And Do they have separate ones? They have separate mm-hmm. ones. And, you know, they'll say clever things and I just type them into my phone and then at some point I'll have a session where I sit and I transfer them all into the journals and expound on them and other things that I just remember. And um, ultimately these journals will go to them. It's so beautiful. I saw you the other day, we were flying back from Atlanta. We'd done a a panel together Mm -hmm. and you were sitting in front of me and you had your journals out and I was reading a script, I think, or something. And Mm -hmm. I kept looking up and thinking, wow, man, she has some serious inner life. She is journaling her heart out. And I somehow felt, I think at one point I felt sh- put to shame. No, and I felt no. like, oh, I, I should have some deep inner thoughts. <laughs> no, and I sort of no. tried to pull out my journal and I was like, no, I'm just hung over and tired. I, no, I never like, write about myself. I know. And then we get off the plane and you said to me that you've been writing up your children's thoughts. And I just thought, oh my God, how magical, how extraordinary for them to inherit these books. Well, and Vesper has started pulling them off the shelves and, and saying, them. mommy, she's not quite reading. Right. But she'll say, Mommy, will you read me some of this page? And so we just, like, go through. And it's things that I would never remember, never, never remember. Um, and these... It's inspiring yeah. me, right? It really is. It makes me want to go and buy a leather-bound journal right now because my kids will not have this. My kids will look at an iPhone and say, Mama, where was this? And my memory's so bad that I'll probably say, Babe, I don't remember. Well, you just don't remember, right? No, you don't. You no. think... Even... I mean, I've been really, like... I don't know what the, the what the right word is because Larkin is two and a half and I've been, I think because their growth is so constant, you're engaged with the person in front of you mm. and the versions, the older versions of them like slip away yeah. like sand in an hourglass. Yeah. And I was looking at Larkin the other day and I tried to conjure Vesper at two and a half and I couldn't yeah. do it. No. And that's so heartbreaking, know. you know, that, that those people just, they disappear. Yeah. Um, and so at least at least now we have images that yeah. we can go back and look. And we I have these, you know, words That's on a page wonderful. that will help. And that Vespa gets to go in and do that yeah. is really wonderful. And also, you know, and not that she needs any proof of what an extraordinary mommy you are. I mean, we can all attest to that. But mm-hmm. but to get to see that, to see the devotion and the love that that bothers to pay witness mm-hmm. like that is really something it's been it's been great for me i've always been so incredibly lazy about journaling for myself i just don't yeah. um so to have somebody else to do it through yeah because really it is special. my experience too like yeah. you know these interactions with her and yeah it's gorgeous um i have some little follow-up questions okay. just to ask at the end okay. so um what was the last book that made you cry M Train by Patty Smith. Oh, yes. I didn't read that one. I read Wild Horses. I didn't read M Train. It's gorgeous. Is it? And brave. It's just a slice of life. It's mm-hmm. just like she just wrote down her experiences over the course of a year of mm-hmm. her life as a 60 something year old woman mm-hmm. living in New York. Oh, wow. Um, and traveling all over the world. And of course, 
talking about things from her past mm -hmm. and the death of her beloved husband mm -hmm. and um, raising her two kids as a single mother. And um, so you see, but most of it is just like, now I'm in Berlin and I'm watching reruns of Columbo. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's so brave, mm -hmm. you know, like talking about falling asleep in her clothes and, mm -hmm. um, and the, the part that made me cry. Um, she was flying somewhere, and and her travel she uses as adventure, but also in some ways escape. And mm. she had thrown herself on a plane to go halfway around the world to Japan, and um, and she started talking to her deceased husband, saying, "Come back, just mm. come back. I'll stop traveling. I'll wash your shirts. I'll Ugh. I'll stay put. Just come back. I've been alone too long." Mm. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, heartbreaking. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. As you say, so brave so to share. So brave to disclose those mm. and to share the banality too of like watching Columbo reruns. And yeah, yeah. Deciding whether to go down and have. You know, she, it was in her body clock. It was time for coffee, but it, but it wasn't that time in Japan. So whether to have. To try to have a green tea or to have mm. some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Heartbreaking, so yeah. lonely. So, so lonely. lonely. Yeah. Gorgeous. Beautiful. I'm going to read that. It really is. I'm going to put that on the list. Um, I doubt you have one, but what's the book you're most ashamed of loving? <laughs> well, I, I, I wrote, I, I, there's this very silly, it's not really trashy, but there's a book called Belong to Me, to me by Marissa De Los Santos. Don't know it. It's, it's just a page turner. It's not <laughs> literature. It's just, it's a soap, you know. It's meant to be. In this question, it's what I'm looking it's, for this. Yeah, but it's, and there's something kind of, and I can't remember, my sister read it too, and I can't remember which it was. We either said, the writing's good, but the plots are terrible, right. or the plots are terrible, but the writing's right. kind of charming, but right. I can't actually remember Doesn't which. Doesn't matter, yeah. But I just, like, read it, like, with abandon, <laughs> and then, you know, and then put it on my shelf, whatever, but um, yeah. it was very silly. Um, what's the last book you threw across the room? Stoner. Oh, really? John, John Williams. Williams. Really? Couldn't stand? No, I love. Oh. Loved it. Oh. But threw it across the room because what he allowed to happen to his daughter oh. and the destruction of that relationship yes. was so horrible to me yeah. that he just, I don't know, you know, I think in life you just do, you make the best decision you can, but that he allowed that woman, her mother, to sweep her away from the sanctity of their office yeah. and to put her in lace and to make her hysterical and yeah. uncomfortable. There's this line that says that his daughter now laughed all the time but never smiled. Ugh. And it's so vivid and uh. so horrible uh. that it, I had to constantly like get it away from me. <laughs> I love it. That is so not the book I expected to ever hear answered to that question. That's fantastic. I did pace the room, but I go back to it. It's so great. I'm a stoner obsessive. So I've read, have you read his other ones? Mm -hmm. They're so wonderful. And he's only written four. He only wrote four. And you cannot believe they are all written by the same mm, man. That's they, super interesting. You, 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 I, I kept having to go back and Wikipedia it and check that I hadn't picked mm -hmm. the, a different John Williams. That mm -hmm. this was the, you know, such so a ubiquitous name. And they are absolutely different. And yet, I guess the man, sort of, when I finished the last one, which is um, Octavia, it's about Augustus's daughter. Mm. And it's all written as letters. And I don't love um, epistolary yeah. novels or whatever. And I could not recommend this book mm. more highly. It's unbelievable. And I, at the end, it made me want to go back to Oxford so I could write an essay <laughs> on John oh, Williams and so what cool. the books and what the books have in common. Like that's how that's how oh, that's so wonderful. So I'm so glad that Stoner made you throw <laughs> the across the room. Um, is there a book or author you feel guilty about not having read? No, no, because I've read a I've read a You've good read a amount. Ton. Yeah, um, and I like got reminded with this exercise. I like went and stared at my bookcase and actually I'm missing a whole bunch of books which 
is interesting. Yeah. Like like a box of books somehow didn't make it through a move. Oh, or, really? And I went back actually and I ordered a whole bunch uh-huh. to just put Have back. Have them back. Because yeah, no. I like a shelf to be kind of like the physical I agree. example of what's in your mind do and you heart. Do you read on a Kindle? Do you do no, just only print? Only yeah. print. Yeah. Only ever print. Yeah. Um, so the, no, I don't. There's nothing I really feel guilty about. There's just so many that I still want to yeah. get to. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Who um, do you take book recommendations from? Sounds like family, family and and closest friends. Yeah. Do you go online? Do you is no? It New I York don't. Times or no. Anything? No, just personal. No, just personal. I am. I'm. I'm lazy about reading newspapers, literary magazines. Mm, mm. Um, so. I know that there's a wealth there that I could, but anyway, I just yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, poetry, I think I know the answer to this because at one point one of your books was um, Dylan yeah, Thomas. it was so, Dylan yeah. Thomas. Um, and the reason I was going to talk about that Dylan Thomas book was um, when I, I met my husband, Alan, doing a play and it was opening night and there's always the question of do you do gifts or not gifts? Mm-hmm. And um, we had a flirtation going, but it was an unacknowledged flirtation. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind. Yeah. <laughs> and um, his character's name Sidney and he was this kind of weaselly guy that through the course of the play became quite wealthy. And So I had gotten Alan um, this little statue of a rat in ballet shoes with a crown mm-hmm. and I had named him Sidney. You know, he was the rat <laughs> who would be king. So great. And he was passing out, like, I think he gave one of the girls a clown nose and somebody else some silly bumper sticker. And he gave me a book of Dylan Thomas poetry. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> that's clue number one. Yeah. I knew there was, there was something here. <laughs> so cute. I love that. It's yeah. adorable. So then I, you know, I went my way through it. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, do you, uh, I think I know the answer to this too, is there a book you wish you'd written? Do you have literary aspirations of your own? Or? Well, I talked about, I mentioned earlier this book, um, The Foreign Student mm. by Susan Choi. She's just an, an incredible um, writer. She's written four or five different novels and they're all very, very different mm-hmm. as well. American Woman is one. And um, anyway, she's, um, this book is about the unlikely friendship between a Korean um, foreign exchange student in the South and this girl who had grown up there who had an inappropriate relationship with a man who was m- much older than her starting at 14. Mm. And he was one of her father's friends. Mm-hmm. And when they meet, she, all of these years later, is actually going to marry this man. Mm. And then she meets this this foreign exchange student who can hardly speak the language and it, and their love affair is so so beautiful um anyway it's just it's just like unguarded writing and um talks about where we come from and and the way that affects the path of our life and kind of global point of view and and anyway it's salty you know Mm. it's salty writing yeah um so anyway that would be one that would be one lovely um do you uh can you recommend the book that you know gets you laid (laughs) <laughs> the book that if you know you're sitting in a bar. I don't know. I, I, I haven't sat in a bar with a in a very, very long time. Or if, all right, I'll put it a different way. You're at a dinner party and the man sitting next to you is someone that you just wouldn't mind impressing a little bit. What's the book you're going to tell him to go home and read? Brothers Karamasa. Oh, so good. <laughs> That's do. a good that That's men like, so right? Yeah, totally. totally. It's a great book. It's an amazing It was it's my father's favourite book. Was it? Yeah, he loved it, yeah. It's an incredible book. It's one that it has also... It's been a long time since I've read it. Um, I went through a whole Russian phase and like comparing the difference in style between Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. Mm. Um, Tolstoy is so much more poetic. Dostoevsky just cuts right to the heart, to the of, heart it. Yeah. of it. And, um, not frightened of darkness in any not way. In mm. any way. Mm. Um, there's this incredible section. Um, where the atheist talks about faith and that, like, the contrast of those ideas, I think, are really powerfully drawn. Right. Um, anyway, I, that might be That's your mind. book. I take it. I think it'll work. Um, you get to take one book to the island. What's it? What's it going to be? I don't know. <laughs> I have little... Uh, well, 
if I was going to the island with my little people, there's this gorgeous book called On the Night You Were Born. Mm, it's lovely. It's a lovely book, mm -hmm. right? And I love reading it to them. And there's these little, in the, in the drawings, there's these additional little um, sentences, like, your name is magic. Yeah. Or, and so I love... Um, if you could take one book for you, what would oh. it be? I don't know, they're all so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll let it slide. <laughs> I won't insist. Mira, thank you so, so much. This was pleasure. so fun and so delicious. Thank yeah. you for taking the time. No, it's been wonderful. That was Mireille Enos, and you've been listening to Bookish. If you like the show, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Share one of the interviews on social media. Send someone an email to tell them you liked it. Send them a text message. Get it tattooed on your wrist, inexplicably. All the music is created and performed by my multi-talented husband, Davey Holmes, and the show is produced by the long-suffering Joe Batanz. Join me next week for my interview with the disturbingly good-looking and literate John Hamm.